Turn your Bibles to Hebrews. It's almost a revelation. Now, I do want, how many of you have ever had a, a you've had one of those weeks where the uh, Murphy's Law comes into play? You know what Murphy's Law is? Anybody know what Murphy's Law is? If anything bad can happen, it will. At the worst possible time. Anybody ever had a, maybe a couple of days like that or a week? Anybody had a week? I've had a week like that. As you can see, this is not my preaching Bible. And as you can see, the print is so small, I can't even read it. So what I had, to, I, my preaching Bible is missing. So there's nothing worse than a pastor who has a preaching Bible, which is large print because he's older, to not have his preaching Bible. And I don't know where it is. So I, I printed out, the, and you probably can read that from where you're at. So just so you know, <laughs> it's one of those weeks, right? And so I say, well, how do you lose your preaching Bible? My preaching Bible is not my study Bible, just so you know. My preaching Bible is unmarked, and it's large print. And that's only for preaching, so I don't use it for studying. And I think one of my grandkids may have, having fun with, grandpa, with Papa. So turn to Hebrews chapter 10. And we're gonna, we're gonna, I'm going to share with you this morning. And it says this. I'm going to read it first, and then we're going to talk about some things. It says in, in verse 19, we're going to read verse 19 through verse 25. And I can't promise you this morning, anybody here likes salad? I mean, come on, I know, we, we don't like it, but we have to eat it because it's good for us, right? I can't promise you that after I read this, you're not going to hunger for salad. Now you're wondering, what is he talking about? He lost his Bible when he lost his mind. No, he lost the mind first. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of the Lord, let us... That's the bad, bad joke warning, okay. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promises faithful, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the day, all the more, as you see the day approaching. Now, we're going to talk this morning about perseverance. And, and perseverance in, 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 in our lives and in, in light of what's going on in the world. And here's just a couple epigrams I found on perseverance. So just some, some funny things um, that, that you might like. It says, the, there, aren't, there aren't any hard and fast rules for getting ahead in the world. Just hard ones. Here's another one. You don't have to lie awake at night to succeed. Just stay awake during the day. Here's another one. I, I like this one. Triumph. The word triumph is just umph added to try, right? So all those things talk about perseverance. And so this morning, we're dealing with perseverance, but we, we start off here with verse 19, and it's the word therefore. And, and remember, whenever you see the word therefore, you are to find out what it is. Therefore, okay? So the word therefore is not just thrown in there because he didn't have anything else to write. He, he's saying because of what he has written before, in the context, what he is about to say has, has weight. So, so what was he talking about before? Well, we go back a couple of chapters to get context. In chapter 8, 
He's talking about the high priest of the new covenant. And in the passage I just read, the very beginning of it talks about the high priest. Jesus is the high priest. And in chapter 9, a couple of things, he talks about worship in the early temple. And we'll talk about worship here in this passage. He also talks about the blood of Christ, right? We sang that song this morning, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus, right? And he talks about that. And then in, in uh, chapter 10, leading up to this, he's talking about Christ's sacrifice once for all. Jesus didn't have to die every day for every sinner. He died one time, and that was for everybody who'd ever lived before, during, and after his death and resurrection. And then we get to the passage here, which is a call to perseverance. And if we look beyond it, because beyond what we're going to talk about this morning, you get to chapter 11, and that is what they call the Hall of Faith. That's the faith chapter. That's the chapter that we're going to deal with perseverance. Talk about the blood of Christ. He's a new high priest. And then we get, we're going to talk about the call to persevere because of those things. And then he's going to list in chapter 11 all these men and women of God who lived lives of perseverance. So understand this. So, so often we, we hear people talk about the Bible or preach or, or things like that, and there's no context to what they're doing. And that's why I always try to give you context of what goes on before and after because it's not just some random you know, like if, if, if I'm writing a, a love note to my wife, which I did a lot when we were dating, right? Because once you get married, you don't, we're supposed to keep doing them. We do other things to show our love, you know, buy her lunch and vacuum the house, wash dishes. But when you're dating, I'm not washing her dishes, right? So we write love notes. And there'll be a random little love note here, and, random, and they, don't, they don't all go together. There's no context to them other than the fact that I'm infatuated with this beautiful redhead, right? But in the Bible, things are always in context. There's always... Uh, Paul, Paul is good at this, and, and the writer of Hebrews is an excellent writer. And he, there's every, every, you read, in fact, if you go back to chapter 4, a lot of what he's saying in chapter 10, 19, 25 is, this, is similar to what he said there. Why? Because everything is context. Everything has meaning and is tied to one another. It's why we can't take one scripture and pull it out and make theology, make a doctrine out of it. It always has to be in context with everything else in Scripture. So Scripture interprets Scripture. And then we interpret what it's saying when we look at the whole of the Scripture. That's why I always try to give context of everything that's happening. Because we can see here, if we just take this and it's called to persevere, and I can give you some practical applications with some practical things to do to persevere what he says here, he goes further and shows you a list of people who lived and died and persevered in the faith. Okay? And so that's important to know. So we have this therefore, we have the context of what's happening, we have the context of all that that he's talking about here, and he starts with two things. One is, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, okay, we now have confidence. Now, we're not Jewish, right? So sometimes when we, we read some of this stuff, like Hebrews is a good, the best commentary you could ever get on the Old Testament is the book of Hebrews, the best commentary because it talks a lot about the the sacrifices and then it shows that Jesus fulfilled those and these things and Jesus fulfilled those right with the high priest and what we know about in the temple right the temple area there was the common area where people could go and then there was the holy place where the priest could go and then there was the curtain right and behind that curtain was what the most holy or the holy of holies right and what was there if you watch Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know. What was it? The, the Ark of the Covenant, yeah, the mercy seat. 
And only once a year, one time a year, a high priest was, a priest was chosen to go behind the curtain and they would sprinkle blood on the mercy seat. And that was for forgiveness of our sins. But only one time per year could anybody enter into the holy place where the presence of God resides. Or that's, that's where he, he resided with them. He was with them. Okay? But understand this. The writer of Hebrews is telling us that what has happened is uh, we have a confidence now that we can enter the holy place. We're not allowed to enter the holy place. First of all, we're not Jewish. Uh, we're not a priest. Secondly, we're not Jewish. And we're not even allowed in the, we have to be out in the court of Gentiles, which is way out here, right? But what the writer of Hebrews is saying, no, that's weak now can enter the holy place with confidence. Why? Do you remember what happened when Jesus' death? What happened to the veil in the temple? When he cried out, it is finished, something happened. The veil tore in two. And that opened up a way. It was a symbolic opening of the, the way now has been made for us. Common people, sinners saved by grace, we now can enter into the presence of God, the very presence of God, with confidence. Not because of anything we've done, because He's done. The word confidence here is like a boldness that believers have because our new relationship with God is not the old relationship, the Old Testament, it's the new covenant. Because of what Christ has done, we now can boldly enter in to the throne room to be with God, into His presence. It's His presence. How can we do that? Well, he tells us, he says, by the blood of Jesus and by a new living way. And then he says this also, and since, another sense, since we have a great high priest over the, the house of God. The, 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 old, the old priesthood was Aaron, Moses' brother, right? And his lineage and the Levites, right? All of them, they were the, they were the chosen tribe, the, Le, the Levite tribe, the Levitical tribe. The book of Leviticus is named after it. And it's they were the priesthood. They were the only ones allowed to, to do anything the priesthood. They were the only ones that were allowed to do those things until Jesus. Jesus became the high priest. And not just that, he became the great high priest. The great high priest, which the great priest is symbolic of the one who's above all. And that's Jesus. So now the, the writer is telling us, he, remember in, in, in 8, 9, and 10, he's talking about the high priest of the new covenant. He's talking about all those things. Now he's reminding us again, hey, since, since therefore, since we, we, we can enter boldly into the throne room, and since we have that great high priest, he's going to give us three things that we can do to persevere. There's three things that the writer of Hebrews now is going to encourage us that's going to help us persevere. Listen, I don't know if you know anything that's going on in the world right now. But it's not looking good. Am I right? It's not looking good. It's not. There are wars. We're starting wars. And now we're starting to hear rumors of wars. Oh, where we've heard that phrase before. There will be wars and rumors of wars. Uh, inflation's going through the roof. We're hearing about one, the new world order. We're hearing about one world government. We're hearing about all these things going on. That with, well, the book of Revelation already tells us about that. And the saddest thing to me is I see Christians who are surprised by what's going on. And I'm like, Why? We've, we're not promised that the world's going to get better. In fact, we're told in the scripture that in the last days, even the believers are going to fall away and follow after those things, right? The world's not going to get better. It doesn't matter who we elect as president. It doesn't matter if the Republicans take control of the House or Democrats. It doesn't matter. But the, the difference is, for believers, there's something we have. We have a high priest who has opened a way to God. And it doesn't matter what the circumstances, it doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor, drive a nice car, it doesn't matter if gas is 
almost $9 a gallon in California right now at certain places. Or here, almost four. In Louisville, it's four and a quarter still, so you guys get a little bit cheaper here. But Louisville, they, they, they like to raise prices on us more than anybody else. It doesn't matter what's going on in the world. We have this high priest. We have this, this way. And because of that, the writer of Hebrews is going to give us three ways that we can persevere. Three ways he encourages us to persevere. All right, so here we go. Number one, look at verse uh, 22. And this is where you might get hungry with the, with the bad joke, salad joke today. Lettuce. All three of these things are lettuce. All right? Uh, I don't know about you, but Olive Garden salad dressing is probably the best. Can I get it? No? Yes? Amen. Thank you. Okay. So just so you know. And, and here's, the, I don't know about you. I'm just going to share this with you. Okay, this is free. I'm not charging for this one. Um, I put too much on all the time. And then the salad gets limp. And I eat it anyways. Because it's so good. <laughs> and you know, you're only supposed to put a couple croutons on, right? No. It's like the whole bowl has croutons. Heidi makes homemade croutons and you just take it out of the oven, dump it in the bowl. Anybody with me? No, I'm not going too far on that one. <laughs> Let us, the first one here is, let us, number one, let us draw near to God. Let us draw near to God. Let us draw near to God. Remember, he just got done telling us that he is, Jesus has opened a way that we can get into the presence of God. And so to help us persevere in life, he says, first of all, let us then draw near to God. Let's draw near to God. That's where we need to be. We need to be at the, foot of, at the foot of God. We need to be sitting in his presence. Okay, Here, talking about this, we, we can think of it as approaching God. But, but not in a way where we just kind of like God's out, always over there. And so the only, I'm going to come approach God. I'm approaching you now. It's not, it's not that kind of approach where we, where it's just whenever we need something from God, right? You know, like, like when we want a raise at work, we go ask our boss. My boss, is, he's a jerk. He won't give me a raise. Of course, I'm my boss, but that's another point. He won't give me vacation time either. But anyways, it, but we want to we want to we want to raise or we want a question, so we approach the boss, right? It's not that kind of an approach. When it talks about it, the approach here, it's talking about constantly being in the presence of God. That that th- this the, the term here, the, the picture that's drawing is a picture of worship. And so often, and this is so often, like we talked about this morning, so often worship, we think of, when, when somebody says, let's worship the Lord, we think of a congregational setting and singing songs together, sometimes raising our hands, hands that doesn't matter, one hand up, half hand. If my mom used to worship God like this, and, and with, you know, hand to heaven, one eye closed, the other eye looking at her four kids, and this hand available for slapping. Anybody have a mom worship like that? And she worshiped God, buddy. And she made sure that we did too. And we learned, right? It, it's talking about, it's a picture of worship. The Christian life, if we draw near to God, is a life of true worship to God. It's, it's what we define our being. It's not just, yes, when we get together on Sunday morning, and yes, what we did was worship. And when we sing songs corporately, that's worship. And we, but worship is everything we do. Understand that. When we're at work, we're offering worship to God by being the best worker we can be in spite of the circumstances. Well, this guy gets paid more than me. That's not your, that's not, that doesn't matter. You're still worshiping God by working hard. God will take care of that. 
When you're at the grocery market, the store, sitting behind a person at a red light that won't go when it turns green, you're worshiping God. Everything about us, everything we do is worship. Right? And that's what this is, that's what this is talking about. And so when we talk about drawing near to God, there's four conditions that, are, that he lists, the author of Hebrews. And by the way, the author of Hebrews uh, could be a woman writer. We don't know. Um, I believe it's Apollos, but that's a whole other issue. So uh, you can argue with that. Uh, all you want, go online and people will argue with you, right? Uh, there are four conditions listed here for approaching God, right? First of all, we're to approach God with, what do you say? With a sincere heart. What is that? That means genuine devotion, not hypocrisy. Genuine devotion, not hypocrisy. Now, sometimes we do things in, in approaching God, sometimes we do things uh, and we're not sure if it's sincere. We're not sure of what we're doing. Listen, God honors that. That's, that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about a, a baby Christian that, that's not sure about if what they're doing is honoring God. We're not talking about that. We're talking about hypocrisy. We're talking about people that come to church, we call them Sunday Christians, right? They, they, they live for Jesus on Sunday and live like the devil Monday through Saturday. That's not a sincere heart. The writer of Hebrews is telling us, listen, when we, when, we approach, when we approach God and we be in God's presence, let's be sincere about it. Let's have a genuine devotion. Listen, if the world is getting worse, then there's only one place that's stable, and that's in the presence of God. So it's time for us to be sincere about what we do. Listen, I, I can cite, I, can cite I, I love statistics. I can cite statistic after statistic after statistic that in spite of what everybody in the world tells you, people still want to hear from people who have a sincere relationship with Jesus Christ because they're missing something. They don't have that. And they're looking for people who are sincere about their faith, sincere hearts in what they do and their love and devotion for God. The second condition that's listed here for approaching God, it says in full assurance of faith. Listen, this requires a bold confidence that God has provided full access. Okay? Remember, when we, when we enter the presence of God, there is nothing we did to deserve that, right? Mercy and grace, that's all we get, all <laughs> right? Mercy and grace. The reason we can approach the throne is not because of anything we've done. Because if it's something that we've done, then we could say to God, I've earned my way here. And I've, here's what I've earned. The wages of sin is death. <laughs> that's what I've earned. I've earned death. But through God's mercy and grace, I have life. Therefore, because of that, I can enter into the throne room. But I have to have, be confident that God has provided that, that I can enter in. Listen, the, 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 the one thing that the enemy of our soul does to us when it comes to this is it keeps shame, heaping shame on us. You don't, I had a conversation last week with somebody about that, all the things I've done. I, I don't know if I, does God hear me when I pray because of all the things I've done in my past? And I said, what, what things have you done? And they went, they started listening. Well, and I said, hold on time. I'm going to pretend to be God. Tell me what you've done in the past. And he started, and I said, stop. I don't know what you're talking about. See, that's what God does with our sin and our past. Right? That's what God does with it. So when we enter, we can enter boldly to the throne, not because of anything we've done with sincere hearts, but because of what he's done. The enemy's going to try to heap shame on us. You don't deserve to be here. And he's right. We don't. But guess why we can be there? Because of what Jesus has done. 
we can enter boldly with confidence into the throne because of what Christ has done. Third thing is we have our hearts sprinkled. What does that mean? Well, we confess our sins and be open to God. That's interesting. It says being sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. Now, here's the interesting thing. In the Old Testament, right? In the Old Testament, there were, there were sins, of, there were the sins of commission, were sins we committed, we knew we committed, right? Right? We know there, there are things we know we do, we sin. And there were sins of omission. Because of all the law, there's no way we could memorize all the laws, right? And so what would happen is we would offer a sacrifice for the sins of commission, things we knew we had done, and then sins of omission, things that were sins that we didn't know we had done, but they were sin anyways. We were still responsible for them, right? Okay? So, and we still, we still practice that law in our country, right? If you're driving down the road and there's no marked speed, speed limit signs, but there's a, a white line on the road, then you're supposed to know that means the speed limit is 35. And if it's unmarked, it means it's 25, right? There's certain things like that that we're supposed to know. And the policeman pulls us over, we can't say, well, I didn't know. You're supposed to know, but there's no way we can know all that, right? So understand this. Here's the thing. So in the Old Testament, when we would go to the priest and we would sacrifice the lamb or we'd sacrifice the dove, depending on our, our, our wealth, or we'd lay hands on the priest, lay hands on the goat, and the goat would run away, which we get our term scapegoat, right? There's a scapegoat. That's what happened. Run away with our sins and they'd be released, never be found again. Um, the Old Testament, the one thing the Old Testament system couldn't do was take away the guilt and the conscience that we had. We could be forgiven of our sins, but the conscience was still, right? But with the new covenant, with what Jesus has done, it says this, it says, our hearts are sprinkled, it says our hearts are sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. In other words, we can go before God, we confess our sins. What is 1 John 1, 9 says, but if we, talking to believers, if we, confess our sins. He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's a scripture for us as believers. Why? Because when we go before God, our lives are cleansed from the guilty conscience. There are things that I've done in my past. There are things you've done in your past that we no longer have to be guilty about because of what Jesus has done. Yeah, we, we, we're still sorry for things because there are things that we've done that have affected other people's lives and still affect their lives. But we don't have to live with a guilty conscience because of what he's done. He's renewed us. He's made all things new. And the fourth, the fourth condition that's listed here, it says, have our bodies washed with pure water. Right? We have our bodies washed with pure water. This is an outward commitment to God. Right? We can liken this to baptism. So if you haven't been baptized, you need to be baptized. Because we're purified with pure water. And the pure water, an outward commitment to God. So those are the conditions that we can approach God to draw near. Okay, the second thing then, the second lettuce, ready? And, and, and if you want to write in your notes the, the word lettuce, so you'll remember it, I don't know. Uh, lettuce, the second lettuce, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Literally what it's saying here, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Man, I'm telling you, I, I, I see around the world it, it, the voice of the martyrs and, and, and other things, you know, other uh, things like that that talk about Christians around the world and what they're facing and what they're going through, right? There are countries where Christians, where if, you, uh, 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 if you're a, a believer, um, you're not allowed to share your faith. And if you talk about your faith, you can be imprisoned and beaten, 
right? Uh, a pastor in Indonesia was just sentenced to 10 years. He's a former imam in the Muslim faith who has come to Christianity, and he was sharing his faith. And in sharing his faith, was comparing what Jesus had done to what Muhammad offered. And they took that as an offense to Muhammad, and he was sentenced to 10 years in prison for sharing his faith. Now, we don't face that here, right? Yet. We don't face that here yet. We're, we're not seeing that kind of thing in it. And I see other others in China, they're, they're cracking down on churches. They're literally burning churches to the ground because the pastors refused to submit their teachings to the, the, the communist to be allowed to preach that, right? They have to submit what they're talking about and be okayed. And the, 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 in China, they have rewritten the Bible and changed things to make it communist, right? They've rewritten Jesus. They've rewritten all these things, and that's what you're supposed to preach. And anybody that dares defy that, they're just burning churches down and imprisoning pastors and imprisoning church leaders. And the interesting thing is in China, they estimate that in another 10 years, by 2030, about 65% of China will be born-again believers in a place where you are imprisoned for your faith. Right? And I read that, and I think about my life, and I think, what would happen today if they came into church doors and put me in shackles because I'm teaching about Jesus? What would I do? I don't want to go to prison. <laughs> what about you? I don't want to be there. What would I do? And as I'm studying this, and it says that let us hold the confession of faith. And it's interesting because the word let us hold unswervingly. I like that word. Say that word, unswervingly. Did you all say it? Some of you didn't. Try it again. Unswervingly. So, so use that word in sentence this week because it's a good word. Unswervingly denotes an object that stands absolutely straight. It is not bent one way or another by impressions made from anything, but it stands firm, fixed, stable, not wavering. Wow. And I look at my life and I say, is that me? Am I unswerving in my faith? Mm, probably not as much as I need to be, right? But then I have to remember this. And if, if you're thinking right now about, am I that way? Here's the good news. Even if you're not, it's not on you. Get me? It's not just you that is unswervingly. It is with the help of the Holy Spirit in our lives and our confidence in the one who is now our high priest who allows us to enter into his presence, we can become unswervingly. We can become that, not on our own strength. I don't know about you, I fail more than I succeed. Anybody with me? Any, any failures here? More than you okay, that's me, right? But with the help of the Holy Spirit, my failures can turn into successes because that's what he does. I just do the failure part really well. He helps me to turn those into successes for his glory. We are to main, uh, in, in saying, let us hold on serving to the hope we profess, we are to maintain spiritual consistency. The one thing that I see lacking in churches today across, across Kentucky and the churches we've been in and, and people I talk to um, is we're not maintaining a consistent spiritual life, right? 
My father-in-law, Heidi's dad, who was in the Assemblies of God for 55 years, a preacher, since he was 18, he became licensed. And for 55 years until his death, he was licensed in a preacher, pastor churches, preached all around the world, built churches all around the world in South Africa and the poor parts of Johannesburg, built churches in places where no one else would go. And, and he preached on prayer, wrote books on prayer. He'd go talk about prayer. And when you would meet him, he didn't even know who you were. And you'd say, hi, my name's Stan. He'd say, hey, my name's Bob. Did you pray today? And why are you asking me that? Because he knew. I could tell you stories about him that are not good. And he would look at you and say, think how bad it would be if I wasn't praying every day. And I went, oh, right. Yeah, me too. See, the only way we're going to maintain spiritual consistency, the only way we're going to be able to hold unswervingly is if we begin to maintain a spiritual life, which means a life of prayer, a life of reading God's word, a life of, we're going to talk about together, being together and worshiping with one another, a life of sharing our faith, all of these things are spiritual disciplines that we need to have, that we need to begin to, to possess. We've got to maintain spiritual consistency. Thomas Lee in the Holman uh, commentary at the book of Hebrews writes this, we are to lay hold of Christ and never let go. Even in the slightest, no persecution, real or feared, it's to lessen the ardor of believers. So we are to hold on and not even let go in the slightest. Not even, we're just to hold on and stand firm no matter what comes. They say, how can I live that? Can, can we live? Can we live that kind of life? Because really, that kind of seems unrealistic, doesn't it? That we never waver, that we never doubt, because we're human beings. We, we all do dumb stuff. I don't, well, I'd probably do more than others, but we all do dumb stuff. We all say the wrong thing at the wrong time, right? And in our cancel culture, you say the wrong thing now, but you're canceled, right? Everybody's you lose your Hall of Fame, you lose your Oscar, you lose whatever. And here, we, so we feel that way. We feel that way, like, like we can't live up to that. Can we hold unswervingly? Well, he tells us we can. He says, because he who promised is faithful. And I love the scripture that says, he who began a good work in you. Y'all know who began the good work in you? Yeah, Jesus so he, Jesus, who began a good work in you, says, the scripture says, will be faithful to bring it about to completion. And notice in that sentence, in that, in that scripture, the only thing that talks about you is that he began a good work in you and he's going to bring it about to completion. Our responsibility is to maintain that consistent spiritual life and to hold on for dear life, right? Hold on for dear life. Third one says this, let us draw near to God. Let us hold unswerving to the hope we profess. And the third one is this. And let us consider how we may spur one another on. Let us consider how we may spur one another on. This, this scripture here, this, this in verse 25 where it says, let us not give up the, the uh, meeting together as the habit of some. That's the most, the most abused scripture in the Bible because that's the scripture that pastors throw on people when they, when they don't come to church. Because, and it's not because they, we do that for the wrong reason. We're not doing it because we're concerned about their spiritual walk. We do it because we're concerned about our numbers. 
Because we meet with other pastors and we don't want to say we had 35. We want to say we had 55. So we beat people up for not coming to church. The truth of it is, when people aren't meeting together, there's something that's, that's happening that's causing that. And we look at this, it says this, what, what we need to do, and he, he gives us a root here, ready? This, this scripture here, when it says, consider how we may spur one another on, it calls us to responsibility to one another. There is no such thing as Lone Ranger Christianity. Y'all know Lone Ranger, right? The Lone Ranger. Hi-ho, silver! Away! Right? William tells 1812 Overture. Right? Y'all got that, right? Guess who the Lone Ranger had as a sidekick? Tonto. Even the Lone Ranger didn't do it alone. This scripture here says, let us consider how we may spur one another on. Calls us to be responsible for one another. The appeal to consider demands our full attention. The goal of this attention, okay, when it says consider, it demands our attention. Consider. And that goal of that attention was to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. We are responsible for one another and we must help those who stumble or falter. The Christian army is the only army in the history of the world that shoots its own wounded. Every other army in the world takes care of its wounded. Bandages them, brings them to the hospital. Tries to repair them, tries to heal them, tries to, to take care of them. Not the Christian army. Oh, so-and-so, gone. Well, I didn't really love Jesus. That's what we do. And then when the world looks at us and thinks, well, I don't want to go there. I go to a bar. They know my name at the bar, right? They know me there. They care about me there. But in the church, man, we're shooting people when they stumble and they falter. But this here, the writer tells us, when it consider, man, the attention, it's demanding that we look at other people. I'm demanding that you spur others on. I want you to spur one another on. And he says, we're to seek and understand uh, each other and the best ways to encourage them. Most people, your church is an exception, most churches, when we go into, the majority of people, they always, I don't know if you guys don't always do this. I see some of you sit in different seats, right? But I, I know places where you go, and buddy, you better not sit in somebody's seat. That's where they always sit. And so what happens is, especially as a church gets bigger, you come in, you sit in your, your side, and you might get to know somebody, but you really don't get to know people you shake hands with them, like after worship, right? Because most people come in right when church starts at 1030, you get it right at 1030. Worship's going on. At the end of worship, they'll say, let's shake hands with those around you. Well, you're not going to walk over there to shake hands. Shake hands with a couple people and you get to know a couple people. And that's not what this scripture is saying. The reason that people are faltering in, in verse 25, where it says the reason that people are getting in the habit of missing out on coming to church, get, getting together, is not because, well, there's, there's things in their lives, but it's because we are not going after them. We are not spurring them on to love and good deeds. We are not paying attention to what they're doing because we don't even know them. We don't know them. Do you know, at the church, we, had, we, we started doing small groups and we, we, until a pastor resigned, but we, we were doing small groups and we, we had it was about, about 250 people in church and we started with four people who wanted to be trained to do small groups. We started doing small groups and they, we, we set up how we're going to do it, that, that the group nine to 18 months, the group's going to multiply out and start another group and that's, what, that's biblical, that's what we're supposed to be doing, growing the small groups and in small groups, that's where discipleship and disciple making can happen. 
because we get to know one another. So we started the one small group, and they were so hesitant. They're, I don't know what we can do, and if we do it, so you can do it. Went through all 18, uh, 18 weeks of training. It wasn't 18 weeks. We did it in about 12 weeks of training. And they started their small group. They invited people. And three months, within three months, they were like, um, we've got 16 people, and we don't have enough room in our living room. And they said, the, the best thing we know, we've been, we've been going to the church for 20 years. We've known this couple. They've been at church for 15 and there are things about that we didn't know anything about them. What? How does that happen? Because that's the environment we encourage within our churches. We encourage the Sunday morning, come, come and get yours from God. Pull the slot machine. Get, woo, praise on. Give your tithes because God's going to, woo, slot machine. God's going to bless you because you're giving your tithe. And now go home and we'll see you next Sunday. That's what we've encouraged in our culture. And that is so not biblical. What we do Sunday has to bleed out into Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and it has to change us and change who we are so that we can go out into our communities and change them so that they will come in to, with us on Sunday and begin to worship together, and now there's more. See what's happening here? That's what this is talking about. We're to spur on one another. We've got to seek to understand each other, which means spending time with each other more than just a handshake on Sunday morning. Glad you're here. And three weeks later, where's that couple that usually sits over here? I haven't seen them for a couple weeks. Well, they probably went somewhere else. Ah. As a pastor, I go, ah. Or they'll say, Pastor, where's that couple that hasn't been here? And I say, I don't know. Why don't you call them? Here's their number. Because if you call them, that means more than if I call them, I'm supposed to call them. Make sense? And the writer of Hebrews here is not talking to pastors. He's talking to all believers to spur one another. Here's something interesting. I'm going to read this to you. I know it's long, but it's in big print, so it won't take as long. Okay, F.F. Bruce says this. The word stimulate here, which is stir up, is a strong word. It appears in one other place in the New Testament, and there's very, in a very different way. Now, li- now listen to this. Some of you are going to like this, because personality-wise, okay? Where it appears in the New Testament, it, it's a very different way. It talks about a sharp contention that broke out between Paul and Barnabas. Remember Paul and Barnabas were getting ready to go on a second missionary journey? Barnabas wanted his nephew, John Mark, who wrote the Gospel of Mark, uh, wanted him to go with him. And Paul said, are you nuts? He left us. He abandoned us in our time of need, and he's not going with us. And Barnabas said, come on. Because remember, Barnabas means son of encouragement. He's going to encourage him. He's going to stay with him. And Paul's like, we got things to do, and I can't afford him coming along and leaving again. So whatever. And there was a contention between them. So much so that they decided that Barnabas was so much an encourager and, and would rather spend time with the people knowing that Paul's calling that he stayed behind with John Mark to disciple him, to mature and help him mature in his faith. And Paul left with Silas. And we know later that Paul and John Mark, Paul saw the growth in John Mark's life and commended John Mark to the churches. And so that, that's a result of that. So, but here's what happened. The same word that he uses here for stir up is used in a negative way. And it says this, it says, um, the Greek word uh, like, is similar to our English word for provocation. Now, when we use the word provocation, it's usually in the negative side, right? You know, when you provoke somebody, right? Like, some of you are going, well, you're provoking me this morning with this sermon, right? That's how bad it is. You're provoking me. Nah. When we use the word provoke or provocation, it's usually in the negative. And that's where this word is used. Okay, so it's most commonly used in unfavorable sense of irritation. Don't point at me. Irritation, 
It's used more commonly than in the pleasant sense used by the author. So it's, remember, remember Paul writes in Corinthians, love does not provoke. But when it's used in this sense, it is provoking. It's provoking. It's being stimulated in the lives of Christians by considering an example of other members of fellowship. In other words, when he says we are to stir up, consider how we can stir up one another, we are to, in a good way, be irritating to other believers. Thank God for that. Some of us, right? Some of us are irritating all the time anyways. But now we can be irritating in a good way, right? That's what this is saying here. We are to, in a, I'm in a good way to be irritating to Scott when he's not here. I'm going to irritate him in a good way. I'm going to stir up. How can I stir him up? How can I stir him up to what? To good deeds and to love. So I've got to constantly be thinking, constantly be looking at what can I do as a believer with the other believers that are with me? What can I do to stir up in them towards love and and, and good deeds? What can I do? How can I irritate them? So pastors are intentionally irritating to believers. And all the preachers said, Amen. Isn't that good? Is that a good word? I didn't know that before. That it's okay to be irritating as long as it's in a good way. Okay, so you heard that here first. Christian faith and witness will flourish more vigorously in an atmosphere of Christian fellowship. Hence the no lone ranger. Right? You know it. Listen, you know it. it. We miss church for different reasons, right? Sometimes we're sick. And when you're sick, it's okay to stay home when you're sick from church. It's okay. Uh, or if you're, if you're on vacation and you're not here with each other. And you know it's a different feeling, isn't it? When you have to miss. Maybe you have to work, right? Some of our, some of our jobs require us to work. So you know when you miss church and maybe you miss a couple weeks, you know what that feels like, don't you? You know how you miss it, how your heart yearns, your spirit yearns, not just for God, because God, we're always with God, but our spirit yearns for each other. It yearns for each other. We need each other. And so we are to spur each other on to, to, to good deeds and love. And then we get to verse 25, and there's some specific examples. It says this, let us consider how we may spur one another on to, to good love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together. We are to irritate one another until we get together. And if we're missing, we're to irritate one another to get back to getting together, to being with the ones that we love and the ones who follow Christ together. And it's not just, and it's not just talking about this specific body of believers because we have, we have people that we know are Christians that attend other churches. And we're to be irritating to spur them on too. So we're not just talking about a, a specific individual church. We're talking about believers encouraging one another and spurring one another on and not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. See, as a pastor, I'm not going to encourage you to be at church because I'm not going to beat you over the head with the Bible saying, see, don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together. You know, and if you read the King James, it sounds even more powerful. Let's, let's not forsake the, you know, and you're like, ah, get the big Bible out and hit them. It's not, because, it's not because, I want to, because I want to have big numbers. It's not because I want everybody. It's because I know that you need to be here with us. And you know that you need to be with other believers. Because that's where spiritual growth occurs. That's where, that's where we learn to maintain and walk in the Spirit. We learn to grow in the Spirit. We learn to flourish. And not just grow, but flourish vigorously. 
the more we're with other believers, that doesn't mean that we're not in the world because we're in the world, but not of the world. And Christians are supposed to be, we're sent people. We're to be out in the world. But it's those times when we come together, that's why it's important not to forsake that because those times encourage us to go out into the world, to know that I'm not the only one doing this. I'm not the only one sharing my faith. I'm not the only one out there. We're all doing it together. Do not forgive meeting together. Regular fellowship with other believers is the essential ingredient in Christian growth and encouraging one another. And all the more as the day approaches, notice the word day is capitalized. It's not just talking about the day, your birthday, you know, May 19th. It's the day. The day that we're all looking forward to. The people in Hebrews knew that the day of Christ's return was drawing near. And this closeness of this day compelled them to stimulate one another. So the reason we continue to get together and draw fellowship with one another, both here and other believers from other churches, the reason we do that is because we know that Jesus is coming is soon. In fact, it's closer today than it was yesterday. And when we get up tomorrow morning, if the Lord tarries, guess what? We'll be a day closer to the day. And the world's not going to get better. But God is. God is. So let us approach God. Let us hold fast with hope. And let us spur one another on as the day approaches. Would you stand this morning? We're going to close. And then Tyler's going to come and share this morning. Lord, thank you for for what you're doing. I, I, I thank you, God, that you're constantly reminding us in a gentle way, and sometimes in a not so gentle way, you're constantly reminding us that you desire to be with us. So much so that you made a way through Christ Jesus that we can be in your presence 24-7, always in your presence, always with you because of what Jesus has done. And I pray, Lord God, that you would encourage us. You, you would continue to encourage us through your word as we encourage one another to persevere, to persevere in our faith, our walk with God, because we know the day is coming, to persevere so that others who are watching us from the outside will see that, and to persevere because there are other believers that need to see us, that are walking alongside us, persevere with you. And I pray, Lord God, that you'd bless us and remind us that, that what we've done this morning, we've come together, we've worshiped, we've heard the word, and now remind us that as we leave, that's when ministry begins. And that's when service begins. So bless us as we put people in our path that need to hear the good news of Jesus and give us the boldness to share it. Because we love you. And it's in your name we pray. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 God bless.